Hello, everyone, and welcome to the It Goes Without Saying podcast. I'm your host, Cassidy, and I'm here with my favorite guest of all time. This is my mom, Lisa. Say hi, mom. Hi, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have been trying to get Lisa to do the podcast with me since I started the podcast, and the reason I haven't had any podcast in the last like six months is because she's the only person I wanted next and she wouldn't do it. So thanks for finally agreeing and letting me and Taylor force you onto my podcast. (laughs) You're welcome. You have so much to say because you've been here for the last almost 11 years, literally every step of the way, Lise. Yes, I certainly have. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to, we're going to start all the way at the beginning and I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a disclaimer that this podcast is probably going to be long and it's going to go all over the place. So (laughs) strap in tight, folks. Okay. So flashback, May of 2014. When I started complaining about my headaches, what was your first reaction? Um, I I mean, I believed you. I just didn't know what the heck it was and so that's why we went to the first doctor which was our pediatrician um and he suggested we go to did we go to first neurologist we went to neurologist first yeah neurologist first at children's well not at children's but yes neurologist yeah um who was supposed to be this well-renowned neurologist and we went in and told him about the headaches and only thing he wanted to do was put you on an antidepressant. And I, you were 14 and I said, there's no way that's happening. And I asked him why we would do that. And he said that we, he wanted to treat the, oh, what was the word? It was, he, he wanted said. to was, treat the symptom, not the. Not, but not figure out what was wrong. Like yeah. he just, like, he didn't like, want to do, he didn't do any testing, didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to put you on medication. And I was not ready for that at that point. I so. remember that very vividly. And I remember you like going out into the hallway, like afterwards, kind of, I think to say something to him or the nurse or something. Cause he literally just came in. I don't even know if he like touched me or anything. Yeah. I don't he just said, we're going to give you the meds. The medicine. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember after that, you called um, the pediatrician back up and that was when you went into full my, <laughs> my, my advocate for the first time, <laughs> for the first time, my for advocate. the first of many times. Yes. And, I, I yelled at them and um, because they said there wasn't anything else they could do. Um, and I was livid and I wasn't at that point I knew it was time for me to start taking control of this and try to figure out what else we could do and what was next and next was when you brought me to the ear nose and throat doctor no but how about that other neurologist no we didn't start going to that neurologist until a little while later you took me to the ENT because you were like, maybe it's a sinus thing because you were doing Dr. Google and you just started. <laughs> you just started. I remember this very vividly of laying on Taylor's bed crying and you coming in and you just started Google. This happened multiple times. And oh, this, time, yeah. this time was when you were like, oh, I think maybe, like, maybe it has something to do with your ears and your sinuses. And then you brought me to the ear, nose and throat doctor. Right. But at that point was when my neck started getting stuck. Right. 
And then he's the one that was like, I think you should take her to an orthopedist. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because your neck, you were having so much neck pain. Um, the headaches were so bad, you could barely lay on the pillow. And then it got to the point where besides not being able to lay down, you couldn't turn your head. So, um, but we went to the ear, nose and throat. Yes. And he said he thought maybe it was something orthopedic. Um, so then we went to the orthopedist and they did x-rays and told me that you had um, arthritis in your neck. And I thought, you're 14. How in the world do you have arthritis in your neck? Um, so, and they, again, I don't think they gave us any answers as to why this would be happening to you and what we could do about it. And so that's when I Googled again. Yeah. And that was the first time that Lyme disease came up, um, because I looked up and literally Googled, why would a 14 year old have arthritis in their neck? And Lyme disease was the main thing that kept popping up. Yeah. And I think, I don't remember I feel as if you made me get tested from the pediatrician, but yeah, then that the was when we also went to the rheumatoid arth- uh, the rheumatologist guy. Yeah. Well, the pediatrician had done the Lyme test and um, of course, you know, according to CDC standards, you didn't have Lyme, although you did have a band or two that was positive. Um, but we didn't so know he- at the time to question that. That's true. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So um so, yeah, so then we went to the the first rheumatologist. Dude. Our rheumatologist was that crazy guy over by. Uh, yeah. Only, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. He, he was he was nice. He just yeah, wasn't he a was, child one. And he and that right. was also, I think, the first doctor that we experienced um, paying out of pocket. I don't yeah. think he took insurance. Yes, he, you know, he did not take insurance. I know that. I remember that, unfortunately, very well. Um, so, yes, that was the first time we had to pay to go to a doctor. And he decided that you had the ankylosing spondylitis after mm-hmm. doing testing, uh, which is a horrible, horrible disease, if anybody's ever heard of it. And it can make you go blind and um, basically you're... Joints fused together. So it was this horrible, horrible disease. And we were completely panicking about that. Um, but at least we had a, a some sort of answer we thought at that point. And that's when we started probably, I'm sure, on the first really doses of some serious medicines, too. Yeah. Um, he had me on he had me on some pretty big medicines. And then that was also, I think, the time when we started doing um the other neurologists for the chronic tension headaches because the headaches didn't like match up with the ankylosing spondylitis diagnosis. Cause I remember him giving me medicines. This was in the summer because this all happened in the summer before my sophomore year of high school. And this was when I went, we, I think we were getting ready to go to deep Creek and he had given me a bunch of medicines. And then the neurologist had given me that one medicine. Remember I had to take nine of these pills a day. That's, yes. That's yes, the nerve and it was medicine. all at the same time. Yeah. So that yeah. was, yeah, that's when we probably first got our first big pillbox that, yes. that we had no idea would be something you still to this day carry with you. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's right. We went to the the, the other neurologist and she asked, yes, that's right. She, she's the one who said chronic tension headaches. Yep. So, yep. So she had you on some medicine too. Um, but meanwhile, none of it was helping really. And more symptoms kept coming out and, yep. and things just that was when the spiraling downhill the tremor started and stuff and I remember after I had been on that medicine for a while like and we had no difference was when you called me 
I was at my friend's house and you called me and said that you were coming to pick me up to take me to the ER because you had been talking with um, our friend who was the doctor at the ER that said that they thought that I had Lyme and we're going to help. They were going to help us. Yes. Yep. So we went to the ER and they um, gave you a large dose of antibiotics because in hopes that you would herx, which um, for those who don't know, a Herxheimer reaction is, um, I'm sure it's not just for Lyme, but when you start taking uh, antibiotics for Lyme disease, it, it, it starts killing off the the Lyme and you start actually feeling much worse because it's killing it off. It's like the last um, hurrah. Yeah. So that's, that was the hopes that that would happen immediately at the ER, but you know, it didn't, but um, she that was, was still... that was also when they did the um, spinal tap just cause that was when they did like all the tests and one, yeah. they did all I... kinds of tests for everything. And then they really, yeah, I think, I think we went there more than once actually, but yes, but then we did go into, and they did, yes, they did a spinal tap. They did all kinds of blood work. Um, but again, you know, the, the tests are, are not good for Lyme and they don't show a lot of times what's really going on. So um, we never still after that got a definite re- answer. Um and I think at that point is when we started talking to people who had Lyme and they started recommending some doctors. And I, I oh, first we had Georgetown, though, too. We did have Georgetown in there, we, too. Yeah. Before we, the ER. They, yeah. Because we, we, we went to infectious disease because yep. we were sure you had Lyme. Um, they would said not no. help us. They said you did not have Lyme. Um, they Remember they talked about TB at one point? I remember them talking about TB, like they wanted me to do the TB test and stuff. And we were like, why? That I don't have any of those symptoms, but they just yeah. like were grasping. They were just trying to find something. Yeah. And then we wind up wound up going to the rheumatologist at Georgetown and we were going to him um, frequently driving down to Georgetown and he just kept giving you medicine and he still thought you had the ankylosing spondylitis. And during that time, we found out we knew somebody who had actually did have ankylosing spondylitis and I talked to her mother and she said, get an MRI, get an MRI, get an MRI. That's the only way you can really tell. And we kept asking for the MRI and we kept asking and he didn't want to do the MRI. And when he finally did it, well, lo and behold, it did not show that you had ankylosing spondylitis. And at that point we had decided we were going to go to our first Lyme doctor. Yep. Um, and we had an appointment made and I can remember the last appointment at the rheumatologist when we found out you didn't have it. And we both started giggling because what he circled instead of ankylosing spondylitis was fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia, <laughs> AKA the, Lyme disease. <laughs> yes. The, the go-to when they can't figure anything else out and you're in pain, you have fibromyalgia. So we literally, I remember walking out, showing you the paper and saying, well, now I know you have Lyme disease yes, because look what he circled. And it that's was exactly what you said. I remember <laughs> that so vividly. <laughs> and that was the last time we took our trip down to Georgetown. So, and I remember, I don't know why I remember this, but our first Lyme appointment was in October. Yes, so it was. Been going. So from May to October, 
Oh, and in between there, didn't we also go to a cardiologist, I think, too? Yeah, uh, I think a cardiologist might have been a little bit later when you started getting into your, well, does she have Lyme phases, which we'll get into. <laughs> any of those. But um, yeah, but there had been numerous doctors before uh, we went to our first Lyme doctor. Um, yeah, because I don't think I had the heart stuff as bad in the beginning because it was like I started off with a headache, then it went to the joints and the neck. And then I think by the time that we actually started seeing the Lyme doctor, I had just started getting like the tremors and I always had the fatigue, but it was like getting oh, worse. Always having and yes. But then like once I started treatment is when a bunch of the other symptoms started coming out, which we came to learn was because I had different co-infections. Because right. then I had the bar or I had Babesia first for a while. We didn't know I had any other co-infections for like, I feel like two years into yeah, my probably. journey of such, which is crazy. What was your first, your initial reaction after leaving our first Lyme doctor appointment? I think I, even though I knew you were really sick, I was definitely relieved that we had an answer that I thought was really the right answer. And although the doctor was a little crazy. <laughs> I felt like he knew what he was talking about. And I thought, okay, so now we have the answer and she'll be better in no time. Ha ha ha. Do you, do you remember the homework that that doctor gave us? Yes. We had to watch a movie. Yeah. We had to watch under, under our, our skin, which um, if you, anybody out there listening, please watch that movie. Um, it was the most eye-opening, horrific, scary, um, just heartbreaking movie, but also at least gave me some insight as to what we were about to embark on and that it was not going to be a quick fix. I think that we both went Um, into my first Lyme doctor appointment with the thought that like, oh yes, like we're going to get on some medicines and we're going to be fine. And then we went home and watched that movie and we quickly realized we were in for a very, very long and hard journey. Cause I also remember we didn't, we had to pay out of pocket for this Lyme doctor. And that was, no, at first we didn't. He was, he was, oh, he was in the insurance. That's, yes. He was in the insurance, which was so exciting that he yes. was in the insurance. And we didn't know that most Lyme doctors were not in, covered by insurance at that point because this was the first one and he was recommended to us. So we didn't know about all the others yet. Yep. So, yeah, he was covered by insurance. And a couple months later, he was um, being um, targeted. targeted by the, the, CDC and insurance companies. And so he was going to have to stop taking insurance, which is when we also left too, because we, I had been doing treatment for like three months and we were like, I should be feeling better by now, not knowing how long this would take. Well, and I felt like every time we went, he switched you to different medicine, which again was what most people do. But at that point we didn't understand it. We just didn't know why you weren't on just a medicine that would fix you. And it was just, so overwhelming at that point. Um, I mean, his were all prescriptions, which were covered. Thank goodness. Most of the things he gave us, but, um, so at the beginning we didn't realize what this was going to wind up costing and the burden it was going to put on us. But, um, yeah, he, he was probably a, a good place to start. I think I don't regret that that's where we started. I feel like as much as this journey was horrible and years and, painful and costly, but I think it was, we, that's how we learned. So yep. I, I don't 
I don't regret that we kind of did it the way we did it, but I wish there would, I wish it wouldn't have been so long, but um, yeah, but he was a good one. And then I'm trying to remember where we next went. you took, I know it all. next you took me uh, to the homeopathic doctor that we went to, who was also not covered by insurance. And it was $1,100 for the first the appointment. First, yes. The first appointment. Yes. And I remember what? we brought dad with us to that one because he yes. was such he like, a, was why the hooky. fuck are we paying that much money? Yeah. It was such a hooky thing, which we all kind of thought, but we wanted to try it anyway. Um, we had been recommended and- it too. Yeah. And he, um, yeah, because that's right. There was a teacher at your high school who recommended him and she had had Lyme and she swore that it cured her and um, her kids were never sick because they went to this doctor and, you know, it was all hunky dory. So we thought, oh, that's the one now. This is who we need to go to. And um, yeah, he was quite convincing. And, and um, yeah, we walked out of there with lots and lots of homeopathic sprays. I can remember taking a picture of the pantry where yes. the entire, I think you had like 15. There were 16 sprays. sprays that I had to do three times a day. Yeah. And, and they did absolutely nothing. Nothing. I did it for like three months and we kept having to go back and it was so much money to get the little bottles too. I remember. And we just, finally, I just was like this, this isn't it. And that was when we had found out about, um, the other doctor who actually did take insurance because he was not an official line no. doctor. No oh, yes, 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 yes. You're right. Because he's the one to recommend us go to the next one. Yes. Yep. That's right. So, yes. Yeah, so then somehow we heard. Uh, yeah. And, and 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 as this was all happening, we started getting involved in the Lyme community, which mm-hmm. is, thank goodness. Um, I don't regret that at all either because we learned a lot and we had a lot of recommendations and um, we started to, you know, realize that everybody was different and how they were treated and how their symptoms were and that, you know, there was no rhyme or reason to any of it. So uh, we were learning a lot through all of this for sure. Um, That was the first time that I was fully depressed too, as well around that time period, because that was the spring. That was like, it had been a year since everything had started. And that was when I started my Facebook group and you started yours too. And I can't remember if it was, you were like, I'll start one if you start one or how we both decided to do it. But we've been in charge of these Facebook groups for the last 10 years. So mine, mine is um, just for it was teens with Lyme disease, but then we all grew up. So now it's teens and young adults with Lyme. And it started with like 15 of us. And now it's over like 550 people. And your group is called parents. parents of, and it was parents of teens with Lyme. And then it was parents of teens and young adults with Lyme as we both had to keep changing them. And mine's got hundreds. I, I haven't been great about keeping up with mine, but. But in the um, beginning, I, we were on it all the time. All the time. Yeah. And, and I do, you know, people still talk to each other on there. It's, I, I feel a little removed now because we're so much further into this journey, but, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll post some stuff in there and just try to give people a little <laughs> boost of confidence to tell them it's, you know, been there, done that and that it don't give up. Um, but yeah, so that's right. So we both did that. Um, and then I, I don't remember how we found out about this guy, but, um, I think it was someone in one of the Facebook groups had recommended because then there's also like a Maryland Lyme disease support group that we were part, we were part of several support groups on social media and you were that you started going to 
some groups as well. That was when you started doing some stuff. Oh yeah. I was talking to the Frederick people. That's right. I, yeah, there, there was a, a Frederick, there was nothing in Montgomery County at the time, but there was the Frederick, Maryland group. And um, yes, I went to a couple of their meetings and, and was talking to some of the people there. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe one of them recommended him. So this, this guy was um local, not far from us at all, and, and wasn't officially a Lyme doctor. He was just a general practitioner, but he was very interested in Lyme disease and was was studying it a lot and was, was you know, working with a lot of Lyme patients. So um, we started with him. I remember that. Yeah, that was... I was 15 and you essentially let me be a guinea pig for this man. But it was like, <laughs> but it was yeah. one of like the best decisions that we made. Yeah, he he was awesome. I have recommended him many, many times. And he now I think just does Lyme. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, he, and it was, I think it was helpful because he, you know, he didn't try the same old thing. Like some of the other people were always doing the same things. And since he was new to it, he, yeah, you were a guinea pig, but at this point we were like, what the heck? Nothing yep. else is working. So, um, and he was so, covered yeah. by insurance. So we and said, sure. Covered. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It was a rough, rough office environment. It was not, not good. <laughs> I don't believe we have ever found a Lyme disease doctor who has a good Office, office staff. Office staff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I'd they're all run. Yeah, they're all run very poorly. Yeah. Which yeah. I understand they're probably under an enormous amount of stress, but yeah, so are that, we. that was rough. <laughs> I was not used to that. But at that point, I was willing to yell at anybody after yeah. all we've been through. And he is um, the one that discovered, well, you discovered my Bartonella because I had been changing oh. when we were going clothes oh, shopping yes, and my pants yes. came down and you saw I had tiger stripes on my butt cheeks. Yes. And yes. you said, what the what fuck the is that? heck <laughs> is that? Yes. And we took a picture of it. We took a picture of my ass and then we the showed doctor. it to him. Yep. And he said, huh. And I remember all three of us, he put his laptop on the patient table in his room and we started Googling. Like he literally pulled up Google and that's how we were like, oh, you have this thing it looks like. And it was Bartonella, which is another yep. tick-borne illness. And that was when he kind of said, you've graduated from my care. Well, and it was also because, no, with the main thing that was the neurological, the neurological. symptoms, you, yeah. you were, you were having a lot of neurological issues at that point. And he, that's when I think, and you were young, he didn't do a lot of kids either. He, you really were too young. He was really an adult practice, but he took you. Um, but I remember actually him saying, I don't, I don't feel comfortable dealing with yeah, the neurological, neurological symptoms and I think you need to go to an actual Lyme literate doctor again. So what do you remember my neurological symptoms being? Cause I feel like the only big neurological things that I remember was when I was in college, but I like in high school, but I think that's because it was memory stuff and I don't remember. I do yeah. remember, <laughs> like I do remember um, a couple of times being in the shower in high school and not remembering if I had just washed like my hair or my body or something and doing it I multiple times you telling and telling that. you that. Like yes, I was like, I, I just could. think I washed my hair like four times because I don't yeah, remember. I remember that. Yeah. I think a lot of it was memory. I mean, you were still, the headaches never, ever never went away. I think you just for 10 years had a headache. I mean, it just was, that was a big thing. Um, I mean, you had the tremors that was, you know, there was just a lot of weird little, nerve things happening, twitching. And, um, I think, it, you know, he was, I think a lot of it was because you were young too. And yeah. he was like, was concerned. He didn't want to keep <laughs> playing around. I with, also think with, this was when I started having my emotional issues. 
I think this is when my Lyme rage started too. Cause it yeah. was a couple months after that was when I finally, when I um, went on birth control for that. So I think that it was also like those were starting right, at the same time. Yeah. It's all yeah. kind of together, but that's but at that time was when I was going into my junior year of school, which I think like my so- what do you, what, how do you remember my sophomore year of high school? Cause I can I, tell I don't, you my description. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it all, and I was working, trying to work full time yep. still at this point. So um, dad actually took a lot of the brunt of, of your <laughs> issues at home during the day at that point. I remember um, in high in my sophomore year of high school, every single morning, my alarm would go off. The very first thing I would do would, it would be call you and say, I would call you at work, even though dad was down the hall and I would call yes. you and I would say, mom, I don't, I'm, I can't go to school today. I'm too tired. And most of the time you would just be like, okay, go back to sleep and I'll have dad like come and get you in a couple of hours and see if you can go in then. And then you'd call me in a couple of hours and I'd say, mom, I'm not going in today. <laughs> and you would just say, okay. But then at sometimes you would be like, no, you need to go to school. You need to do this. Dad would, you would call dad. You'd hang up on me. You'll go call dad, come make him come get in and get me. Sometimes I would like, he'd get me up. Like he would and by get me up, I mean, he would literally physically literally. lift me out of bed because I could not lift myself up out of bed. And I would cry the entire time that I got dressed. Sometimes I would go to school. Sometimes I would cry so much that he would let me stay home. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of the time, if I actually ever woke up on time and like felt like I could go in for my first couple of classes, I would go in and then I would call you, even though you were at work a half hour away and dad worked from home, I would call you at work and say, mom, I need you to come pick, like, I need to go home. And that would be like after being in school for like three hours. And I think my sophomore year of high school was when my final quarter, I missed 29 days of my first period class in like the fourth quarter or something it had said on my report card, which it was ridiculous, was the craziest thing. And I don't remember if we had already got me my 504 plan or not at that point. I think, I think we did that for we did it so you had it for your uh, I think junior, it was senior year, I think. Yeah, so. I had the abbreviated schedule junior, senior year. So I think you might have got me my abbreviated schedule for like the last, like my second semester of my sophomore years when it started. Yeah, I, I feel like, which was also a funny day because I remember I did not go to school that day. We had to go have that meeting. Like I literally, you brought me to school in my pajamas. I went into the meeting room with you and then I walked right back out of the school and went home. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I was like, I was awake for a total of like, an hour or two, I think. I, I I just know, yeah, you spent most of your life in bed. That's where you were for a good portion of your your day and night, every yep. single solitary day, because you were just exhausted all the time. Yep. I like my sophomore year of high school. When I think about it, it's in my room. That was when we got darkening curtains in my room because I couldn't have too much light. That was when I started sleeping with an eye mask because I couldn't have too much light, and. I would lay in my bed all day and I would sleep. If I was awake, I would normally um, watch a movie in my room, laying on my body pillow, Fred, remember Fred? (laughs) (laughs) um, I would cry most of the time. And if I did get up, like, I think it would, I don't even remember like sitting in the living room very much during that year. Like I just remember being in my room. Yeah, I think we're mostly in And I don't remember any food things at that. Like I know I ate food at that time, but I don't remember. Yeah, I, th- I think, like we, I, I mean, I think you started doing some of the, um, 
like maybe gluten-free at that point where you, I don't. I started being gluten-free a year into me being sick. So yeah, like towards the last half of my sophomore year of high school, I became gluten-free. So I started with some stomach stuff and gut stuff. And I, we were just treating that, I think as like in the beginning, as I was doing probiotics, remember I had the probiotics that had to be in the fridge and we used to have to go to vitamin shop all the time to to get them. They were special. And then I, um, we went originally, I went gluten-free because we had seen so many people and talked to so many people with Lyme that said that I should be gluten-free because uh, like the Lyme feeds off of it or whatever. And it would help right. with my, with my pain. Cause I was like right. always in so much pain. And I remember I did it for like two weeks and I said, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. And it wasn't until we were at, um, in the doctor in Virginia when she yelled at me that I finally, <laughs> finally went gluten-free. So that was once the doctor said he didn't feel comfortable treating me anymore with my neurological stuff, he sent us to Virginia. And that was when we started on our two year long journey with that doctor who we hated at the time, but I've grown to love her very much and love what she did for me. But that was what, what do you remember about when we first started going to that office? Cause I think that was when we both kind of realized, wow, this is, we're like in it now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I remember just first of all, the schedule of just trying to plans for dad would bring you to my office so that we could, and we make a late last appointment of the day at their mm-hmm. place. We drive from Rockville to Virginia. We'd go see her. Most of the time we left there and you'd start crying because you were unhappy that you weren't <laughs> fixed. And then we would travel almost two hours in rush hour to get home and sing and open the windows and that's when the sing-along started sing-along started but um but what I remember I remember with her I always felt a little bit like she was condescending she was just Um, so smart and would she was so so many doctor words yes she she just she she spoke way above our heads but we didn't question it enough (laughs) we should have but um and there was a lot of a lot of different medicines then too um, I remember that first appointment was when they took 15 vials of blood. And I remember us like <laughs> me, just making eye contact because remember she had to switch from one arm to the other. And we both just looked at each other like, what the wow, yeah. <laughs> what, what's going yeah. on here? And that was one where you would also um, have to do the little questionnaire before you went for each appointment too, which was also, again, another new thing that it was like, talk you realizing what your symptoms were and mm-hmm. how you felt and um that was that was new you know and that was helpful because it was very helpful yeah because we and, and it also let you see when you started to actually have progress we actually saw that yeah and um, i think she was the first person that ever explained the chronic lime to me yeah. like really because she said she was the person that said that based on my symptoms that she thought that i had got sick like i if I was bit by a tick, which I'm not convinced I was, um, if I was bit by the tick, I probably was bit when I was three or four and that my symptoms then manifested for 10 years until I was 14, until it came out because of how severe they were when they came out. And I remember that that part was when I was kind of like, oh, that makes sense. That's because I knew, I remember I would get frustrated a lot because I knew people who had Lyme, but they had acute Lyme. And I didn't understand that there was, I didn't fully understand how that worked. And when she explained that way to us, that helped. And then she was the one that said, 
remember she asked us at one point and she had assumed that I had been gluten-free. And when I said I wasn't, she kind of just like stopped, looked back and she said, why are we doing this then? And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, why are we doing all these medicines and stuff if you're not going to eat the things? She's like, because then the medicine will be killing it, but then the gluten will be feeding it. So it's just not going to change at all. Right. And that's when it fully hit. And that's when I went gluten-free and sugar-free for the first time. And you decided to go sugar-free with me. Yeah. Didn't work for you. <laughs> Tried it a few times. <laughs> caught, you, um, caught you cheating in your car with your good implantees. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that, that was, we tried a couple of things while we were there. You remember she used to do the, um, the cocktails, the IV cocktails. We did that a few times. It was supposed to help you to feel better. Um, we tried that, um, thing they put around your neck that time. I have no idea what that thing is called, but I think about it all that time because I, it like, I have like physical trauma in my body from that I think because it just like freaked me the fuck out and it was like the noise I can hear the noise it makes and it just like makes me I hate it I hate it it was we and it didn't do anything no it didn't but But then she is the one who I think I saw her for two years yeah um and she's also the one who explained the onion to us yes she said that Lyme disease is like an onion and you have to peel back layers at a time And so like you peel back the Babesia layer and then you see that you have all the Bartonella layers and then you can peel back that layer, but then there could be another Babesia layer or there could be another layer. And so that mindset, I think, helped me a lot kind of understand. Right. That even if something was better, something else might not be. And that it was, it would take time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But in between there, I know there was definitely times where I thought maybe it's really not Lyme. Maybe there's something else going on. And I just wanted there to be a better answer than Lyme disease. You did. You did so much. And I, I think I always like knew. I remember like even when they were doing the spinal tap on me in the ER before we had a diagnosis of anything, I just like let you have your time. Cause I was like, I know that she needs to do this for her to wrap her head around it because you just wanted me to be better so much. Better. Yeah. yeah. And it, I knew like it was killing me, but like it was killing you way more because I'm your baby. And, right. and I couldn't fix you. you. Couldn't and fix I couldn't me. make you feel better. And yep. I, I can remember so many times you crying and me just laying with you and crying too, yep. because you're both so helpless. I, yeah. Because I couldn't make you feel better. And that's a mom's job. And I couldn't do anything and I didn't know what was wrong and I didn't know how to fix it. And I didn't know who to take you to that could fix it. And even the doctors who, who knew about it weren't fixing you quick enough for me. <laughs> so, and then just knowing all the things you missed out on during all this time, you were playing, you know, you were, you were doing sports, your sophomore, I mean, your freshman year and you couldn't do sports. You couldn't go out with your friends. You didn't do anything. You, you, all the fun things of high school, you missed all of it. I remember the, the one dance you went to that you stayed to for like a half an hour at it and <laughs> came home after all the pictures and the pretty dress. And, you know, it was just, constant it was just it I just didn't know what to do to make you better and that was so hard but I greatly appreciate you sitting there and crying with me (laughs) (laughs) because it made me feel like one like to know that you were struggling too made it okay for me to struggle as well because I always felt like around other people 
I would always, if we talk about this, like, how are you? And I just say, I'm fine. But then right. you, you would be the one, like if so we were somewhere and someone asked me how I was doing and I would say, I'm fine. You would laugh and you would explain to them, no, she's not fine. Right. She has this, 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 because I just felt like I couldn't do it because nobody really need, like wanted to hear it and things, but you were the one that was always like explaining them to me and you never you kept looking for the answers and things which so many kids don't have parents that do that or believed in them or like let them sleep through high school (laughs) and you didn't let me sleep through high school I got straight A's in high school I did all my work yeah there were times there were times though that you had to type for me do you remember those you type you typed up some of my essays for me yeah I would literally like you were my like ghostwriter and I would sit there and tell, I would speak to you and tell you what to write. Right. And you would have to do that. And I'm out of high school now, so I can say this, but there were times when you had to fix what I was saying, because my, I remember that I like my brain, remember I would fumble over words. Like I would, yeah. Oh yeah. You would have to fix them for me because I physically, like I, I didn't have the vocabulary anymore to be able to articulate what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was rough for sure. It was very, and I remember you like, when I was able to do things, you also like, you would let me, like, I remember at one point, I think it was dad. That was like, why did I not go to school, but I could go to the football games. Right. And you said, because I don't get to do anything. And like, if I feel what, cause you understood that it literally was like one minute I could feel one way, the next minute I could feel another. And yeah. it was just totally by chance how I would be feeling on some certain days. And yeah. you would let me because you and I I can remember one of the funny thing I remember my best friend and we they were over and we're in the basement one day and um I remember like they came in and I think you saw them or something and said hi and then you texted me or something and said you didn't feel good all of a sudden you know it would just come it would just hit you like a brick wall and you were like I'm going to bed I feel awful and you came down to say good night and I remember I used to say that you looked like death. Like yep. That was my big thing to say. And after you went upstairs, she looked at me and she said, my God, she does look like death. I see what you're saying now. And it was just like your whole, your, you know, your skin color, the yep. circles under your eyes, you would just your whole, you know, so you could see it. It was physical besides, you know, internally it was external people could actually see a lot of times how horrible you felt just yep. by, I especially was very in tune to it so I think I would know when when it would hit you for sure yeah and I remember we also like that was when we started really utilizing the spoon theory of like I knew if I was going to be going to school or something one day like if I, I would if I knew I had an exam or something big coming up like I would not go to school the day before because so I would be able to go the next day because I knew that like I needed to preserve my energy to be able to get that done right and stuff like that and we would kind of work my life around that which was crazy and I remember it was senior year and I remember the summer before senior year I felt like good I think that was when like I started nannying and I was driving I was trying to drive, <laughs> failed, my driver's chest, failed my driver's chest two times, um, <laughs> three times a charm there, but, um, and I was feeling okay. And then the beginning of senior year, I was doing good. Like I started, I was going to school, but I also had the abbreviated schedule because you and dad have all the pull in our small town <laughs> and you got me so that I was able to sleep until I didn't go into school until fourth period. I don't think. 
I didn't have to have because I also I think it was 10 o'clock yeah and so I got to sleep in which helped a lot I would still miss a lot of days but it helped and um I would like do the football games I would do the student section and stuff like that and I don't remember when it started going downhill but I just know that that was when I realized like every fall I feel like shit (laughs) and like my body's very seasonal and that was when it started going down and it was right after Christmas that year when I like before Christmas is when I started asking you to get the pick line because I just had known so many people who had a pick line and you were so adamant that you did not want me to get one because you didn't I don't think you wanted to accept that I was that sick that I needed it yeah but then it just is a scary thing to do I guess a very scary thing (laughs) which is another thing with me like I don't it was what I like. I want it. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Right. Um, oh yeah. And did. yeah, I did. <laughs> and and then I almost died, and then I did it again. <laughs> but um, and I remember us being out for birthday dinners at PF Chang's. Yep. And the doctor started calling you, and we walked out into the lobby, and she said that I was approved to get my pick line in in January, and we both just like looked at each other, and I just like. That was one of the first times I think we, we both, both cried. Yeah, we both joy. like, yeah, that was one of the first times I remember us being, having something to do with the doctor and crying for joy because yeah. we were so happy that I was, because like, this is what we just knew. And I had started doing like college applications and everything. I think it already been accepted. And yeah. Just were. like we had that fear of like, would I be able to go? Which is why I think like how I convinced you to do it was like, I wanted to be able to go to college and I needed right. this to get there because I was having the neurological issues and that was what I knew would help it. And then we started the pick line process and mm. with Pete, the pick. And I remember that first month, do you remember when we went back for that test or for the doctor's appointment after the first month and how my numbers had dropped so drastically and yes. she printed out that chart for us. Yes. Still have. Yes. And we were ecstatic. Yes. That was, yep. yeah, that was almost an immediate improvement. It was nothing we'd ever said after, after we, figured out that you were allergic to alcohol and you were allergic to the bandage and you were allergic to everything. That was one of the worst experiences. That was, and your arm was lumpy and bumpy and red and swollen. And yeah, I literally you- asked you at that time to have my arm amputated. I like, <laughs> yeah, I, that, was I, the worst. that was one of the worst experiences of my life. Going yeah. through all the Lyme disease was whatever, but having an allergic <laughs> reaction with the thing inside <laughs> of your body that you cannot take out. That is yeah. not ideal. Luckily it wasn't actually the pick line itself. It was just the dressing and the, the cleaning yeah. stuff. So finally figured that out. And um, yeah, the, the pick line was an amazing thing. I mean, it, it really, it really was helpful. But that couldn't, how many months did you have that? I had that for nine months. So I got it in January and then I got it taken out. Right before you went to college. Yeah. Right before I went to college. So eight months. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I got, so I like literally eight, got it out. Like, two week, like, I think I got it out like the week before I went to college. Um, and you and were, you were cured. I was cured. And that was also the time I remember us going into grandma's living room on the phone with my doctor. And she said that she was calling them to the nurses to come and take my pick line out. And that was when she also told us that she was leaving the practice. Yeah. And I think we both once again, cried tears of joy with that doctor because I think we thought I was there, like in remission right. and you say that I was in remission and I just always have a hard time admitting that I was in remission, but I think I was in you remission at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just like, we felt like we were finally, like I had finished high school. We were closing that chapter of high school, but we were also closing the Lyme disease chapter. Yeah. And then what did it feel like to you when I called you 
a couple of weeks later and I started telling you that I couldn't read anymore. Yeah, that, and I wasn't that was that was heartbreaking. Yeah, I I just I think I couldn't believe we were going backwards again. And um, yeah, and you would call me crying and you came home every weekend and we had to pick you up once or twice. And thank goodness your brother was at college, the same college. So he was there to help take care of you um, and his girlfriend at the time and your cousin was there. And so you did have people to help support you. But I can remember your roommate was just clueless. And I felt so bad because, I mean, if at the time I was mad that she wasn't being understanding <laughs> and sympathetic, but, you know, she's an 18 year old girl. And she's like, what the heck is wrong with this girl? Yep. And again, there's no physical, you don't have a broken leg. You don't have a cast on, you don't have a, amputated so you look at you and that was always a problem through the whole thing other than the the death look that you would get occasionally but and I think that was also when I started people get the freshman 15 and I think I lost oh yeah very quickly yes because that was when I first you lived on clementines and I don't even remember clementines ginger tea and I think gluten-free bread and that was like I literally that was all I ate yeah. And, and it got worse and worse. And the, it came to the head when we went to the football game, you came home for the state champion football game. Everybody always wonders school. why I hate, why I hate football. And this, this, <laughs> this, this is why this, this is might be, this might be a reason yeah. why. Yeah. So we, I remember we went to the game, everything was fine. I don't think you felt good. Um, but you know, it was fine. It was cold. It was, you know, I remember we, we were on the, we had, we're on the bus that we had chartered a, the bunch of people chartered a bus and we were riding home and we were sitting together and you were laying your head on me and you felt horrible at that point. And all of a sudden you said, mom, I can't feel my legs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And you're like, I can't move my legs. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, and you didn't, panic as much as I expected that I you would and I think I held it together pretty good too but I think somebody had to carry you Will my brother-in-law well, carried me who, off the bus he carried me off the I bus I can remember who yep. I remember somebody carried you yep and um, he had to carry me inside once we got home he carried me inside brought me up to yours and dad's bed and then you and I sat there and cried yeah and then we realized that you that were was when you said it was to, yep go back to school because I couldn't send you back to school like that. Luckily it was the end of the semester almost. And, um, and again, thank God you were a great student. You were, the teachers loved you and your professors were amazing because high school, your teachers were all great about it, but you know, this college, you don't know how they're going to be and if they're going to under be understanding and they were amazing and they all let you do your your finals online so you didn't have to go back to school and we just went back to clean out your room and um, I had to take one exam one exam in person and you cleaned up my room while I did that yeah that's right that's right um and then we realized and that was the other thing I think we realized number one you weren't going back that semester but we also realized you weren't going back period I don't we didn't make that choice yet I had made that choice but you had not accepted that choice yet I don't think because that I got my other pick line in again when we came when I came home too because that was when they did the mold testing and that was when they found out that I had the mold toxicity which is why they think I got so sick so fast right um because I had been exposed to mold which makes sense in an old dorm that is probably never cleaned or checked 
Um, and they started me on the other pick line. And at this point I was with another doctor. Um, that was when we started with like the integrative medicine. And so I had been doing some supplements, but also like other medicines as well, like prescriptions. And then they prescribed me. And I remember I was mad because I just wanted the road. Like I had it in my head. I believed it so hard that I just had to have the IV Rocephin again. And I would be just like it was the first fine, time right. and I would be fine. And I like, right. I remember I would get so angry and we would leave those doctor's appointments because I did not understand why I couldn't just have the IV Rocephin. And then it was because I had the mold and right. they, sorry, I had to do that giant ball. And then I was also <laughs> doing the, um, remember they, they didn't really fully understand why I was having the paralysis Cause at that point I would just get it. It was like a weekly thing. I'd get paralyzed like once a week and it was just random. And whenever it would happen, they just told us to hook me up to my saline drips, which is why we have the vid- picture of Will also carrying me to the bathroom. And I had like the <laughs> IV attached to me. Um, okay. And I remember it was like a month or two into that. And like, you were talking about, like, I, th- I think I had to like submit something for the next year. And that yeah. was when I was like, I'm not doing it. Like, it's not, it's not going to happen. And I remember that was, it was way harder for you than it was for me. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that was, yeah. Well, and I think because we, you know, you, we had gotten to the point where we thought everything was done finally. And, you know, and then of course, at that point, mind you, we also found out that insurance didn't cover the whole eight months of the pick line too. So I think probably I was in complete panic about that as well. Um, so uh, yeah, so then we... You're talking about the first pick line. So not only did we have to pay out of pocket for every doctor's appointment that I had, pay for, we don't pay for supplements yet, but pay out of pocket for every doctor's appointment that I had. There were some supplements always that we were getting things that weren't weren't prescription. There was always other things too. So there was Mm. always other medicines to pay for. Yeah. And then I had my first pick line, which we were told was covered by insurance. And then it wasn't until after I got the pick line taken out that you were then hit with a bill of, do you remember how much that one was? That one was, I want to say. It was over 50. No, that was the second one. The first one was like only that. The first one was five, six thousand. I want to say. No way. It was more than that. I don't know. It's all, it's all a blank at this point. I I don't know. I I can't. It was way more than we were anticipating having to pay. Yeah. And then you had to pay. Well, my sister was then getting married. I was going to college. My brother was also in college. And then I got the next pick line and that one, we got the supposed to be covered. the, The doctor had told us like they knew how to code them so that they would be covered by insurance. And Lyme disease was like not written anywhere because if Lyme disease is anywhere written on a piece of paper, insurance will not cover anything. And so it was not. We got the proof that they covered the insertion and the first dose of medicine they did when I was in the hospital. Right. And then it wasn't until I, it was like partway through me doing treatment when we found out they weren't covering these anymore. It was, it was near the end of treatment, I think. And, and, but meanwhile, I wasn't going to say anything because they were still, I mean, it was, I didn't care. I was, you know, if they didn't say hand us a check right now, I wasn't paying and I wasn't, I wasn't going to tell them that I wasn't going to be able to afford this because you were getting the medicine you needed. And realistically, that's all I cared about. Yep. But we have to go back though, before when you got the second pick line put in, what happened that day when they didn't let me come back with you? That wasn't, 
that wasn't this one. That was when they inserted the third one in between me having my um, pulmonary embolism. Uh-uh, I'm pretty a, positive. No, I'm it, pretty was the, it was the first time that they, no, this, they didn't No, The one where the guy totally screwed you up was no, the second. I yeah. think that, I think that was when, so I had this pick line in for nine months. And then in September I got, I started having pain in my arm and like a little bit. And then where we went to the ER and they didn't do anything. They did the test, whatever. And then I went home, they removed the pick line, the nurse came, removed the pick line. And then we went back to that hospital to have them put in a new one in my other arm. And that was when they stuck me eight times. And because he, that was when they put me into a different room. Cause it like, wasn't, I didn't have the official appointment lined up for a long time and everything. And he, you were in the waiting room. I just remember whichever time that was, was you were, it was hours I was yeah. waiting and they didn't let me come back because you were an adult by then I was 18 uh, yep. and yeah and then by the time you came out you told me that he's and actually they wound up he, he didn't, didn't even, even do get it. it in they no. wound up having to take us somewhere else so they could do it the way because they use like a an they use an x-ray machine and he was literally had me in a triage area trying to yeah, stab they, me he didn't right he didn't do it with the a right Doppler way. machine yeah. yeah, that's right. That okay. was, and yeah. then I got that taken out a week later because I found out that I had a blood clot. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which so was just fun. absurd. But, but I remember with the second pick line, though, it wasn't that instant improvement. And no. that was super frustrating for both of us because you still didn't feel better nope. and you were still getting paralyzed and you were still miserable. And, um, you, you weren't going to school. You weren't doing anything. You were literally doing nothing. You stayed home. You didn't work. You didn't go to school. You did nothing for that whole semester. Nope. Actually, was it longer than that? Was it just it, that semester? It was just that semester. I, yeah, I had the blood clot because I like wasn't doing I was doing a little better, but I was nowhere near how I had been after right. the first pick line. But they finally, when I got the blood clot, um, which is also, I think there's something wrong with me. Now that we're talking, yeah, <laughs> because like I had a blood clot in my lung and like you guys are freaking out and I was just vibing. Like I was like, all right, that's cool. Like it didn't, didn't phase me in any, I think I was just like, at that point I was just, I think I had just been numb to everything the entire time. I think my, well, my brain knew well before I did somehow, but that doesn't make any <laughs> sense, but like it just, we just yeah. had to go with what was happening. Cause it was just the only option that I had for survival kind of. True. Yeah. So that, that was crazy. So then you spent the night at the hospital. We spent the night at the hospital. We spent the night at the hospital. I also had, um, remember I was breaking out because they had used alcohol on me when they had also, <laughs> when that guy had stuck me eight times. Yep. I had a rash. Uh, yeah. That was a, that was a, a time. And then I did start at MC right after that. It was like a couple weeks after that I started at MC and then. Which is community college for those community, who don't know. Yeah. My okay. community college. And I was just, I think I did like two or three classes. Like yeah, it, you didn't I was do not lot. doing a full load no. and it was like, okay. But that was, I remember how excited we were like my first day of school because I was able to like do it. And I think that I made it through, maybe I think I made it through the whole year. And then I started the next year and that was when like, I kind of stopped doing treatment. I went through a couple of phases. Remember when I just told you I can't do it anymore. Right. And that was one of those times I was just like tired of my life revolving around taking medicine. And I think and all these we things. were, and, and, it, and I think a lot of it, some of that was the doctor too. We were, yeah, we were done with that done doctor. With her. 
Um, yep. They just, we had, again, that was a huge issue with their office and couldn't get through. We couldn't reach her. We couldn't talk to anybody when we needed to. And it was just, we were just kind of done with them too. Yeah. And, and that was when you had started also with, you wanted me to start doing things to like heal what we had done with all the antibiotics and stuff, right. which is my favorite thing about us because in the beginning, people would say <laughs> things to us and we would shit on them and like be like, they're so sick. They'd be like, the whole reason that like people can't be on antibiotics for this long of a period of time. And we were like, why the fuck not? You can do this and you'll feel so much better. And then we were like, oh, the damage to your intestines and your yeah. everything of your body has been taken down by this medicine. And we were that way with essential oils too and acupuncture yeah. and yoga yeah. and everything. Uh -huh. And now that now I am so granola. It's, <laughs> my, I, now I shit on the antibiotics. Yeah, really. No, I'm like, get those things away from yeah. me. But I just think that's... But again, that's what I say with our journey. I mean, we, we weren't ready. Don't for know. That, you know. And it does take I you. Mean, we always say that it takes you until it happens. Like you don't, you never fully understand until you're in it. Right. Yeah. And we would have never. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I also, you know, like, and we'll finish with, you know, what you're doing now, but um, you know, I think if I'm not sure if we had started with the doctor that you're with now, I don't know that you would have gotten better. I, yeah. I don't, I, I still do think that you needed some antibiotics. I yeah. do do truly believe that this isn't something that can be fixed just with alternative medicine. I, but I don't think it can be just fixed with Western medicine. Like, I, think I think it needs it to, be, to be in my me combination. And, me and yeah, Dr. Which, Sayadon talk about this, which is yeah. Western medicine and Eastern medicine have to work together right. in order to get the most healthy you can be. And I think yeah. that is very true. And I think I, also, I always say like, once again, I would do if I ever was as bad as I was before, like the neurological things, I would get a pick line in a heartbeat. And right. the bad thing is that I don't know if they, that's like a deep rooted anxiety that will pop up <laughs> randomly sometimes is that I don't know if they would ever allow me to, because I had because the blood had clot, that. right? Um, which is the most upsetting thing too, because the reason I got the blood clot was because I was on birth control and had the pick line at the same time. And I will never be on birth control again. So yeah. not an issue. But I, I also think, I think you got the blood clot when they pulled the pick line out. I think it, I think that, it, they said I that think it had, it, remember they said it had been on the end of it and they think that right. when it, when they pulled it, right. it got dislodged. That's what I, yeah. Um, so I, so I already had had it and it wouldn't have traveled to my lung if they wouldn't have popped it out. Yeah. Which is a fun thought. But then it was the fall of, no, I think I lied before because Braxton was born in 2017. So I lied. I didn't make it through a year of school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, so I had the, I had the, no, no. <laughs> No, I made it through a year of school. This is there's I need to literally need to write it out. We should. We we've done it before, but but I don't have it with yeah, me. But I can't um really. it was it was the fall of 2017 when I started getting paralyzed. And do you remember the phone call that I made to you when I was drive like when I had been driving? Uh, when you were driving, yes. How'd that be? <laughs> mm, you tell that story. I, I can't talk about it. I was driving home from my college. And I remember your best friends live a street away from us and I was passing their house and I started because I could tell when I was getting paralyzed. And I think before this, I had been getting paralyzed a little bit. And this was when we had started going to acupuncture at that woman's house. Remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She had been helping us a little bit and I had gotten paralyzed like a little bit. And before it would happen, which is like I am like still convinced I think they were a form of seizure, even though they could never prove that it was because a lot of people before they have a seizure, they have like a tell 
that like lets them know it's coming. And mine would always be like, I could feel like the tingling and the numbness starting. And it would always be my left side first. And I remember my left leg went when I was driving and I called you immediately from my car. And I was like, I can't feel my, I think my left arm went to, I was like, I can't feel my left side of the body. I'm on like about to be on our street. And I think you like had to hang up with me and call dad and dad met me in the driveway. He had to physically put my car in park and like he had to then get me inside. And I remembered I I was crying because I knew that you were just like, I wasn't going to be able to drive anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And this was one of when you started with your, it's not a Lyme thing. It has to be (laughs) a neurological thing, which was an, I, I, (laughs) I just let you, I, I literally didn't have a choice because I was paralyzed. So (laughs) whatever you wanted me to do, I was going to have to do, but I just like, I just said, okay. Cause I knew, like I knew, and I don't remember if you remember this, but I would just keep saying like, it's Lyme, it's Lyme. Like I, (laughs) I accepted it. I knew whatever my Lyme doctor was going to be doing was somehow like I would get there. And, but you took me, remember you took me to that neurologist in Virginia. I remember he did some tests and all of them were coming back, but you kept fighting and you're like, she's, she gets paralyzed. Like she cannot, she cannot move. And at this point was when the acupuncturist had figured out that if you stabbed me on the foot, so I carried her, I crocheted myself the case for the acupuncture needles. <laughs> yeah. I kept them. I literally remembered, you remember you drew the X on my foot with a Sharpie because like you, if you weren't home, you needed to make sure that dad and everyone else knew where to hit they me. Where to hit you. I like you literally would sharpie X's on my foot where I had to be hit. And it was helpful because I remember one time pop up had to sh- stab me in the foot. Oh um, and I think one time one of Grammy's nurses that was at the house had to stab me in the foot. Like, and that was also another time with I good job on making me smart and a good student because I did not finish my semester again. I could not finish my exams my teachers all let me go because I had such high A's anyway that they were like, it wouldn't matter if you failed the test, you would still get an A. So I didn't have to do that. And I remember the one morning, it was like before you were going to work and I was awake and I said I was paralyzed and you literally had dad carry me to the car. You drove me to Virginia at like five o'clock in the morning to that doctor's office so he could run tests on me while I was paralyzed. Yes, yes, he came out to the car. Yep, because I couldn't come in. So he came yep. out to the car, did some tests on me. And that it was Nothing. after it was after that time when he didn't do any, like couldn't find anything that then I finally just like looked at you and I said like, have you had enough now? Like, but I, but we, I, we did go to another neurologist. We did because they had found something which we've never talked about before. And I've thought about it recently is that they remember they found something on one of my lower vertebrae in my back. And we just like never did anything about it because they didn't seem too concerned. And we were like, we have too many other issues. And they were like, they they said that that couldn't be what was causing the paralysis. You're like, all right, we don't really care. We have other other stuff to worry. But I remember also, um, um, Oh, going to the ER when you were paralyzed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was a time. Yeah. And she lifted your arm and and dropped it and it fell. And then she left the room and didn't. And then just came back in and said, have you had a flu shot? And we said, no, she didn't really have a flu shot. And she um, said, I remember her looking in my face and saying, you'll be, you won't be paralyzed when you decide you're not going right. to be paralyzed. Yes, anymore. that's she. Yep. Yep. She, that's what she said. She said, she, yeah, when she's ready, when she's ready to start moving, she'll move. And I was like, what? 
I also and and they never came, and she never came back. I mean, it was like they just left us in the room, and we were like, "What?" And I was, and and of course, that was one of the many times where I heard the, "Who said you have Lyme? How yep. do you know you have Lyme? Did they test you for Lyme? Did you test positive for Lyme?" And this we was also, also forgot about. We also forgot about the doctor that yelled at me at our our for the ear uh, infection. Oh, we'll go back to that in a second. But I just also <laughs> want to throw it out like. You brought me to the ER. I never yes. wanted to ever go. Like I would right. never, it, I never ever, after like one of the first times I went to the ER and they asked us those questions for like probably one of the times I was constipated because we went to the ER a lot because yeah. we always thought my appendix or my gallbladder or something was going on. And it was right. always because I was literally full of shit. And <laughs> it was, I like never asked to go there. And I, it was after that appointment at the ER when she said that to us. Cause then dad was with us at that point and he no, literally I called him. He came and picked us up. I thought he followed us in the ambulance. No, I don't think he was there because I think he came and got us. Um, unless he was in the waiting room, he wasn't in the room with us. I know that. And I went out and screamed at the doc, the, the doctor and just was crying and yelling at them. And then dad came and picked he you up. He me still up. couldn't move carried you out and they said oh are you leaving and we said yes she goes well there's some discharge papers and I was like nope not doing it and we just no, walked out we walked and I right was out so mad I don't think I'd ever been so mad before yeah that was one of the worst like my kid can't move and you're ignoring it like yeah. oh that was awful that was one of the worst experiences but we have to backtrack now like I said okay. we would at some point but <laughs> this was a year into me being sick and I had ear pain and I remember like telling you I had ear pain and I wanted us to call the Lyme doctor and tell them and like, see if they could do like anything for it. And you were like, well, maybe you just have an ear infection. So you brought me to our regular pediatrician, which was like, once again, Not a pediatrician, it was a regular, just regular family doctor, doctor, family yeah. doctor. And I said, cause we stopped going to the pediatrician because they didn't help us at all when I was struggling in the beginning. Right. And that he had asked why I was on all the medicines. And that was yeah. when we first learned, oh shit, don't say anything about Lyme disease. Right. Because then he started on us with, and this was, we had heard other people talk about this in the Lyme community and we had never right. experienced it yet. And yes. he, cause then you had gone through my whole history and you said ankylosing spondylitis and this man blew up. And he, I remember sitting there just with my jaw open. Cause he was saying how you had wasted a year of my life. Yes. And I needed to be exact words. Literally, he said, You had wasted a year of my life. I needed to be at Hopkins seen by a team of doctors. I was like essentially dying and (laughs) like scream at you of ankylosing spondylitis, which you didn't have. And and you, and you like, and I remember you calmly said to him, like, I had the definitive (laughs) test done. Like I had the test yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. It I was just, not, I, at that point I was like, okay. But you, but then we did. <laughs> I think the, he gave me a form of like a referral. To, to, to get me to Hopkins. And, he did. Yeah. He, Cause he like had pull and was going to get us into Hopkins yeah, or something. Yeah. But I do remember a split second because we then went to the grocery store, which was, is our thing and has always been our thing. And you cried, you were crying in the car a little bit and you were kind of, cause you were like, thinking a little what he was saying and you were like maybe I need to get you to Hopkins stuff and I was like no (laughs) we don't need to go to Hopkins this is Lyme it's fine and but that was the first time that that had happened to us at a doctor and that was was... like to this day to this day 
I will never, ever tell a medical professional that I have Lyme disease unless it's like a necessary thing. But ironically, that doctor is the doctor who prescribed you medical marijuana. (laughs) And you know that that you have Lyme disease. He does not know that I have Lyme disease. And that's why I have the medical marijuana. He thinks I have medical marijuana for anxiety, which I I do. Yeah, I love that. Though. Yep, that that's my favorite. Every I, time he's the one that you have to deal with, and I will, I will never. And my favorite thing also is that he prescribes me. We'll get into this too, but he prescribes me my medical marijuana license um, for my anxiety. But then also, he knows that I had all my endometriosis issues. Fully believes that, and also was telling me how the medical marijuana would help with the pain and things like that. And I just some like last time I go see him, I'm just gonna be like looky here, sir. Let me tell you about, let me tell you a little story. But that was even like, I never wanted to go to the regular doctor. Like I would never, yeah, and that's you what never I wanted it. to go to the doctor, period. You Unless it was a Lyme doctor, right. I would go. But if yeah. it wasn't, cause I just like, right. It's medical. Now I know the terms for it, but it's called medical trauma and I have it, but you also have it for me, right. which <laughs> is like a thing when I know that if I've ever told you that I need to go to the ER, you know, that it's serious because right. you know how badly I do not want to ever go. And a time with that was, so before I had the medical marijuana, the reason why I have medical marijuana is because I had insomnia for like seven years and did not sleep. So I, I, I think I still have a journal somewhere in my old room. Do you remember my Barbie journal that I would write notes to you at nighttime? And I would say, dear mommy, I, it is 3.30 in the morning. I am still awake. I don't know why I'm still awake. I'm in so much pain. I cannot sleep. I'm turning off my alarms. Please do not wake me up in the morning. I'm not going to school. Yeah. And I would like text you at 3.30 in the morning knowing you were sleeping. <laughs> like, I wrote you a note. I'm not going to school. And I have like, if you flipped through that journal, it would be like, Every day. It would be like every day. Like, yeah. dear mommy, it is three or 40 in the morning. I don't know why I'm awake. I cannot sleep. I am in pain. And I like could never sleep. Right. And so finally... I think it was the doctor in Virginia that was like, you need sleep. You need like your body can't. He- no. Yeah, I think it was. I, I can't remember, I can't remember which that. doctor it was actually, but they were like, you need to sleep. Like your body cannot heal if you're not sleeping. And if you're not going into REM sleep too, because I did have a sleep study done, but I don't remember when that, who did that either. Um, and we did the pain doctor. I just remembered that crazy pain doctor. We did too, do a random that... pain doctor at one point. Yeah. yeah. And um, we did a lot of things. We did cranial sacral physical therapy oh, yes, for a did. long time. Love. Um, and we did the the therapist in um, Frederick that did some weird, the tucky, remember that? That was before I even had Lyme. I was in middle school for that. That was for my jaw. You sure? 100%. That oh, was for my jaw. Right. Um, but I always, we can go back to that later too, but I was always a weird, <laughs> randomly sick kid. <laughs> yeah. I was your problem child and I always will be your problem Not child. Not my problem. And your favorite, but we'll get into that too. Not favorite. Um, and, but, um. Now you made me lose my train of thought. Sorry, uh, the, the sleep medicine. Oh, the sleep medicine. And so they prescribed, I was on Flexerol. Remember I was taking three Flexerol a night and would not get knocked out. You take Flexerol sometimes for your pain and you could take like a half a pill and you're out. Yeah. And like it was three Flexerol. And, and we used to do melatonin. That did nothing do for you. everything that you could think of to sleep. Like we would, remember you got the lavender spray on my pillow. <laughs> like we yeah. tried everything yeah. and nothing would put me to sleep. And then they gave me Ambien. And he, I was in high school, I think still yeah, when I think the Ambien you, thing happened. Yeah, it was either I high think, school yeah. or like right when I came home from being sick. Yeah, and I, I remember we were watching One Tree Hill. So it had to be high school. We were watching One Tree Hill and we had paused it because dad came in the room and 
I can remember, I think it was Jake Jagowski was on the screen. And so was Peyton Sawyer. And <laughs> I was just staring at it. And I said, like, he's coming towards me. Like I can, like, I like thought that the pick, like he was literally coming yeah, at me in the I remember room you were... and you were just like, you just turned and I don't know what I looked like, but I can imagine what I looked like. And it was just <laughs> like, my eyes just like nothing would focus. And then I started hyperventilating. Yeah. Then you got scared. Like first yeah. you thought it was cool. Like it was like <laughs> you're on a trip or something, you know, and at first you thought it was cool. Then it freaked you out and then you were panicking and then yeah. you couldn't breathe. And yeah. And that was, yeah, that was, and then, so then we wound up having to call 911 because you were like, not, I could breathing. not breathe. Yeah. You were out of control and I didn't want to take the chance of like getting you in the car and driving. So we called 911 and they took us to the hospital, another one of our wonderful trips that will make you not want to ever go to the hospital. And they took her right into the rubber room, the rubber <laughs> right into room. the psychiatric ward, put us in this room. And you remember the room, I think, better than yeah, I Yeah, it was right? literally like how you, it was padded walls. They put me in a rubber, like my, instead of a paper gown, it was made out of like a foamy rubber material that they put me like in like a shirt and shorts. And I don't remember. You were with me the whole time. Yeah, I think I was with you. And I think like at that point too, like the ambient had already like kind of worn off. Like, I don't know what, like, and I just like looked at you like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And then that was when we realized they thought that I had did it intentionally. Right. They thought that I was trying to kill myself. Yeah. And then you had to like go out there and be like, hi, the doctor, the doctor prescribed us this dose. Right. And I remember we finally, a doctor came in and I told her what had happened and she went right out. She said, get her out of here. Like she, she was like, this is not where she belongs. And no, and, and that, you know, I think they just took us to a regular room and checked you out and you were fine. But yeah, um, yeah, that was, that was a scary one too. Oh, yeah. We have adventures. a lot of them and yeah. That is one of the questions that I've had written down since I came up with this idea for the podcast for you was, oh, no. what is your scariest moment that happened with me being sick? Oh, God. That's a really hard question. Um, probably the two, there's two and I don't, I don't know if there's anything worse than these two, but um, probably the first time you got paralyzed because yeah. I was like, what is wrong with my child? Like that was, you know, all the other symptoms were, you know, but, but being paralyzed, I was like, is she going to be paralyzed forever? What's happened? Like, mm-hmm. and, and when that was really scary and that was just a symptom and that wasn't something I'd heard about people having, and it was just something completely out of the blue. And then the, um, when they told me that you had the um, pulmonary embolism, that was very scary because I knew people die from having blood clots and I was freaking out about that too. Um, so those would probably be the two scariest things ever, probably. You're always very good at hiding how scary you were. Yeah. Well, and, and that was, but and that was what I, was always hard for me too, because um, I really didn't, you know, I tried to always be brave for you and try not to cry. I mean, a couple of times I certainly did cry with you, but there were many times where I would um, be out of your earshot and eye shot. Yeah, there are many times that I would break down and just ball. <laughs> and, and it was hard because, you know, I mean, dad knew you were sick too, but he wasn't with us for 99% of the the appointments and he didn't really ever really understand it and didn't. <laughs> He still um, does. 
Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and, and most, and I'm not sure anyone in our family, I don't know anybody no. does, anyone nope. period does, Nobody. other than any other Lyme people, and, you know, they're, and they're, they're person. And there are um, even Lyme so. people who I don't think, like the paralysis, I don't know anybody who has the same paralysis experience that I did, because I was literally periodically paralyzed throughout the day, all day, for six months of my life. And that, that was crazy um, and I don't remember like how it came to a point where like I would be numb to it like now when I get paralyzed now which like I randomly will get paralyzed sometimes at nighttime it doesn't it literally does not phase me at all like I'm just so numb to it because I know that it's not permanent but there were like you said like there were time I remember the time when we went to the ER I can remember I was paralyzed for five hours yeah, and that was the yeah, longest like, I had ever been paralyzed because like normally it would be like an hour tops right and I remember that time when we was, we were kind of like, what the fuck do we, cause like you had stabbed me right. in the foot and like, it wasn't, nothing was changing and yeah. we didn't know what to do. Yeah, those, those were always scary. And, and then like, just, you know, you wanted to take a bath and then I'd have to constantly check on you to make sure you didn't get paralyzed in the bath, which you did many times. And, yes, um, I did. you know, yeah, there was just a lot of, you know, there, it was just never leaving, wanting to leave you alone. Like you were like an infant, you know, yeah. I couldn't stay and I that couldn't is, leave you home alone because you might get paralyzed. And what if something happened? And I can so, remember having to like, I would have to have other people, like I would have my cousin come over and babysit. I was like 20 yes. almost or something like yes. that. And I would have to have them come over and babysit me so that I could get you to go out and like do things because right. you always say, I'm not a burden, but like <laughs> you shouldn't have to baby your 20 year old child or bathe your 20 year old child, take them to the, like you and Taylor have had to take me to the bathroom because I'd be paralyzed. And I would not like, you would literally be wiping my, like me. And I like, <laughs> that's absurd. And people don't have to do that or shouldn't have to do that. And I remember, I know, <laughs> and I appreciate it greatly. You're a superhero, but I don't, it's just like, I don't think I realized it took me years to realize how much the paralysis stuff affected me. And like, I can remember the first time I took a shower without wearing a bathing suit after the paralysis stuff. Cause I wore a bathing suit in the shower, I think for like maybe even a year after I stopped being paralyzed because there would be times when I would get paralyzed. Like if you weren't home, I would, cause like, right. like you said, like I would take a bath or a shower. I would have to wear a bathing suit in case like my dad or my brother or someone else would have to come in and get me because I was right. paralyzed. Right. I had to have, I had to use Grammy's shower seat. I was 20 and having to use a shower seat because I could like could not stand up sometimes fully in the shower and like I remember I remember one time which I was the first time that I realized how much my sickness impacted you which like I knew it impacted you financially I knew it impacted you with that you like wanted me to feel better and you couldn't help me with like the helplessness but I don't think I had realized how much trauma you had from it as well until one time it was after I had been paralyzed like I wasn't getting paralyzed anymore. I don't know how long after this had been. And I was singing in my shower. And I don't know if you remember this, but it's something that I remember like randomly, I'll think about it. And I was singing, belting at the top of my lungs like I normally do. And you came sprinting into my bathroom. And you I thought that I, you can't, and I said, what? what? Like I was screaming and you thought that I was screaming for help because I got paralyzed in the shower. Uh, and I was like I that, that, I cried. And after you left, I sat down and cried on the floor of my bathroom shower because oh. I, didn't, I didn't realize how much, like I had fucked up my family. Oh. <laughs> like there and there, 
that like still do you like I would go on <laughs> I knew that one of us was going to cry it might be if I cry it'll be a it good makes time me feel bad I don't know it makes, it, was... it makes me feel bad that I did that to you and that like I every night or whenever I would go to my room you guys would all make sure make sure you plug your phone in because my phone would I would have to hey Siri call mom on speaker because I would right. be paralyzed and couldn't call and right. we ha- it would only work if my phone was plugged in or when I would go and I in still the- won't I still don't turn off my but not just yeah. for you for everybody because that always says turn off your phone I'm like no what if one what of if- the kids needs yep. me and then that I thirty year old children <laughs> that I would go remember when I would go in the sauna and you still do it you did it to me when I was home at Christmas. I had been downstairs for longer than you thought I would be downstairs. And you had, you called me to make sure that I wasn't paralyzed in the sauna. Yeah. Like, and it's like still those little things, but yeah. we all went through it. And I like, and then it came to the point when I say I'm your favorite child because we have been through an experience that you did not experience with your other chi- children. And that I don't like, we have a relationship that most people do not get as a, mother-daughter duo and we would put Rory and Lorelai to shame with how close we are to the fact True. that we communicated without me speaking because I would be paralyzed you remember that right. my, my mouth wouldn't open like I'd be sometimes because sometimes I'd be paralyzed so much that I couldn't even open my mouth right and it would literally be full-on conversations of me like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you had you you would know exactly yeah you knew what I was saying every time I remember sometimes people would see it and be like <laughs> what language is that, right? it's like how when a when a child like a baby learns to start speaking and only the mom knows like what's going on what they're saying yeah and that is how it was with us and it would just be like yeah. okay and how people like you know every detail about my life including relationships and sexual endeavors and drugs <laughs> by drugs I mean weed only but like you know all of these things because right. we are <laughs> why not <laughs> why not you were you were wiping me at 20 yeah. so they're like there's not much, but I'm, I'm sorry that I put you through. You didn't these do things. it. It's nothing that you had any control over, obviously. It's just, it's. But all I, yeah, all I just wanted was to figure out how to make you better. And. You did it. it, it if I didn't do it, Dr. Sayadon. <laughs> I don't know. But well, you and that was, and I remember, do you, the funny thing is pre-doctor say it. I don't know if you remember when we decided to go back, you had stopped doing Lyme doctors and you decided to go back and we went to the, uh, I can't remember her name, Dr. R or something. Anyway, I don't remember she, her, how to say yeah, her name. Yeah. And we went to her and she was doing acupuncture and she was you, more of a, an, an Eastern medicine. Type. You also pushed me towards that stuff, which I think is funny now looking back yeah. at it. It's like, I was always like, that's not going to work for me. And you're the one that was like, let's do this. Right. Well, I, at that point, I think I knew that your body needed healing. Like I knew that, that, you know, antibiotics weren't going to do anything for you. I, I, I really thought that because your gut was a huge, huge issue for you at that point. And that was like one of your main things. And I, and I just thought, it's just been ruined from all the medicine and it's time to, to fix you like now to heal the body. And, the epitome uh, of the Coldplay song, fix you. <laughs> I will try to fix you. You know, I don't listen to Coldplay. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I remember we went to this doctor um, and we really liked her and um, she, we, she was an integrative medicine doctor and um, we had only gone to her a couple of times and she told us she was moving. Yeah. 
You remember? And she yep. said, oh, but I have this, this wonderful woman who's going to take my spot and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, no. And we were panicking. And I was like, let's just try it. See if we like her. And that was Dr. Sayadon. Yep. And that was the best the woman thing. Who changed my life. Yeah. And you too. Yeah, my even two favorites. That, though, I honestly feel like I don't know if Dr. Sayadon had been the first person you saw, if you would be where you are now either. I mean, I, I, that's why I say, I mean, I hate, I hated what you went through for 10 years. Um, and I hated what I went through for 10 years and I wish maybe the journey didn't take 10 years, but I do think, I mean, we learned so much and, and truthfully, I mean, you have helped so many people because of all that you've been through and learned and me too I mean I've had so many moms call me and there were um, times I remember like even when I was in high school and it would literally you'd be like every single day I get a message from somebody knowing yeah. somebody or they have it or they have Lyme and they need help and yeah. that was what led us to like our support group that we started the Montgomery County support group and right. yeah. like I wouldn't have done any of that stuff and then I remember I was I guess I was 21 maybe when I started doing my, my work with Nancy and we went to that meeting and I heard her speak. And while we were sitting there, cause I had told you, like I had known, I feel like from like the second that I got diagnosed with Lyme, we washed under our skin and I realized how fucked up everything was that I knew that I wanted to do things to change that. Right. And like when I did the testifying stuff right. and I, yes. I testified and I, I was in high school when I testified the first time. Yep. Um, we did the May Day rally. Do you remember that? We did, oh, yeah. we did both of them when we did yep. the, yep. And um, how we did the Lime Walks every year. Yep. And you supported me in all of those endeavors. And half the time, like you went and did things without me too, because I was too sick to go and do these things, but you knew I wanted to be doing something. So you would go. And so not only were you taking care of me, but then you were helping other people find their care. And then you were also helping fight the injustices, all <laughs> of these things. Life. And you were also working full time and being a parent to my other two siblings who got the short end of the stick for about 10 years because all your attention was focused on me. Uh, they were both adults <laughs> by then pretty much. So but, that was lucky. Yeah. And, but when I, I remember sitting there when Nancy started talking and like you started like grabbing my hand because you yeah. were like, because you, you knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. Because she said, I think she said, I'm looking for people to go with me to, to do, help you know, me. to talk, to talk to kids at these camps. And, and I was like, Oh my And God, I was out of school is... at that time because that was when I was finishing being paralyzed. Like I had yeah. just starting to come out on the other side of that. Yeah. And I just, as soon as she said that, I was like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like you that. sent me, yeah. you sent me to Maine in an 11 hour car ride with a woman who we met once. One <laughs> you met me, you, I mean, you met her with me at her school where she worked an hour and a half away put all of my stuff in her car and said see you in three <laughs> <Yeah>. days <laughs> what was it like you were a five-year-old I knew you were okay you, but it's just so funny and like funny, yeah. and it was the best thing ever it was yeah. so cool and when I think it gave you purpose and made you like you know it the it gave you a reason to why you suffered all that time. Like, you know, that there was a, an end to it and, and that there was a, a purpose for it. Yep. Um, so I think that was, and, and yeah, and just same thing with our, our support group when we did our Montgomery County support group, it was, you know, we were just 
to the point now where we just wanted to help other people, you know, if we could give them a little bit of a shortcut so they didn't have to maybe go through 10 years of it, but if we could help them figure it out. And, and, and it was just a good, I mean, a lot of those people, I mean, you remember we had a person who tried to commit suicide and, you know, we, you know, it was knowing that people were that desperate and that bad. And we were like, no, like you can't, you yeah, can't yeah. give up. Like it's just. Did you not... ever worry about that with me? I don't think we've ever full on talked. Like yeah. I've like brushed the subject, but I don't know if we've ever fully yeah. talked about that. I don't know that I ever. I mean, I was worried about your depression for sure. Well, I remember when you um, messaged my therapist and you like wrote everything out that you yeah. thought that I needed to like talk about because you knew I wouldn't talk about anything. Right. Because like I said, like I have such an which I'm still with the same therapist and we try to work on this but like I have such an emotional block on everything dealing with all of this because that was literally like my survival instinct was just like I don't I can't feel how scary it is or how bad it is in any sort of like shape or fashion because I have to just survive right and and I don't I always knew you were a survivor so I I don't think I ever thought you were ready to give up but I knew you were very depressed and very sad and missed out on so many things that I hated. That's why I was so happy your senior year when you were so involved in like doing the football games and the, the student section and, um, you know, painting your stomach and all that, where you were at least well enough to do those things. And that was um, like that, that made me so happy. And then when you were able to at least start, going away to college and but yeah the the mindset of you know your life not turning out the way either of us thought it was going to as far as you know I mean the normal way of doing things of you know doing all the fun things in high school graduating going away to college four years being done getting a job you know just etc and you know yours took a few you know (laughs) hit a few detours a few curves but and, and we, you know, I think once we both got to the point where we were like, okay, however long it takes, whatever road we go to get there, but you'll get there. But- and I think that is something that you helped me with so much that a lot of other kids don't get from their parents is that the health is my most important thing and that everything else doesn't matter. And like everything else will be there when it will be there with like, I want like the me not going to school. And like, I remember I like started getting upset when I like couldn't go a couple of semesters and stuff. And you were just like, it'll be there when it's like, it'll happen. Like you can't, you can't do anything until you or your health is okay. Right. And like, it's a thing that I always say, which I think I got from you, which is like your health, like nothing else matters if your health isn't there, because if your health isn't there, you can't do anything else. Right. And I remember, you know, you wanting to, you know, try to go back and I was like, you can't drive. (laughs) You can't go back to school. You can't drive. Like you, you had to, you know, it's just a reality check. Like let's wait another semester and then you go, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, and it took, and it was hard for me. I mean, like I'm saying it, but I was also like, Oh, I want her to go back. You know, I mean, it was, it was. I remember, I think a couple of times, like I called Taylor when she was like either at school or she was living in her house because I could hear you crying from your room in my room and I like knew you were crying about me and I didn't and I like knew I couldn't do anything because my life was pretty shitty (laughs) and it was just like well I would like I have to just do it and every choice you made was the right choice I think and I think yeah 
I'm I'm here. And I, I think it's funny now. And I think sometimes that like literally every day, I remember you, it will pop up my Facebook memory sometimes about you had posted on Facebook one time, you had texted me and asked me how I was doing. And I said like, fine or good or something. And you posted about it because every time before that, it's always like terrible right. or like I feel awful or these things and like how shocking it was that like you I was good. <laughs> good and okay. Yeah. And those little and things. And I knew if you said those words to me that it was it real. meant, yeah. yeah. And how nowadays I remember I don't, it was like a, a year ago or something like that when I started having my endometriosis issues and you had no, like you didn't have any idea really about them because I don't ever have to talk about it anymore, really, because I've gone from like you being in charge of everything to then you like let me fly and you taught me everything that I needed to know. So now I know like when I went to fight for my first endometriosis surgery, like I knew that I was going to get what I want from the doctor because you had showed me <laughs> like the doctors don't owe you shit. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> or and, you and don't they, owe the doctor shit. Like, right. And they don't, they don't know everything. Yeah. And that was a good piece of advice that you taught me yeah. as well as that. Well, and, and uh, one of the biggest things I, we didn't talk about yet was when we went to the conference. Oh yeah. So yeah, that was the next thing I was going to talk about. So mm. I, for those people that don't know, if you didn't read my blog, um, I had a hysterectomy in o- the end of October. So I am now almost three months, I'm like two and a half months post-op from having a hysterectomy. And I have known, and I have been telling you since we watched Under Our Skin when I was 15 or 14 years old that I'm not going to have children. Because in that movie, they talk about how hard it is for women to, with Lyme to conceive children. And then I learned that it also is possible for a mother with Lyme to pass Lyme disease to their child. And I knew that that was something I would never do. And I always remember, like, I would say that to you, like, you'd be like, oh, when you have kids and I would say, I'm not going to have kids. And you would always say, well, and I got mad at you at some point, a couple of times I would kind of scream at you and say, I'm not going to have children because like, it's a, it's, a choice and it's, it's, and it's, I know it's hard for other people to understand, but it was my choice. And like, as you said, I already had so many things in my life that I had planned out that were changing rapidly and having children was always something as a child that I was like, Oh, I'll do that. And now I've grown up and I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm too tired. Um, but um, when we went to the Lime Mine conference in New York city in 2019, I, that was a big trip for us. And we were very excited to go and sit and listen to all these Lyme people. And then we found out that the doctor from Virginia, who essentially got me into remission the first time, was speaking. And then when I got there and we found out that she was speaking at a section about mothers and babies. And we went down to that little area and we were sitting down and they started talking and they started talking about because you had also said, well, you would say to me at times like you could do a surrogate. And I would just say, mm-hmm, because I just like, <laughs> knew I knew that was something that I would never do. And like my sister would say that she would be a surrogate for me. And I would just say, mm-hmm, like that, <laughs> that I just knew that wasn't something I would do either. And I remember we were there and I don't know if you remember, but she was talking about how she had people who were doing surrogates and they kept losing the babies. And then they did tests and they either found out that like they would find that the surrogate then had Lyme. And then they weren't sure if the surrogate had had Lyme before they had planted the embryo or if the embryo then gave the Lyme to the surrogate as well. And 
I can remember you like grabbed my hand and I looked over at you and you were had tears streaming down your face and you just like shook your head. And I think I cried too, which was like a big thing for me to cry because I knew that you finally accepted like, yeah, I'm not, that's not something that I'm going to be able to do. Well, and I remember people asking questions after there was a Q&A and, you know, people kept saying, well, is there any way to make sure, you know, what if they test this? And what if they, if she's on, the mother's on antibiotics during the pregnancy and what if they, you know, test the placenta and blah, blah, blah. And every answer doctor, the doctor said was, there's no way to know. There's no way to guarantee that you won't pass it to the baby. And I was like, nope, I wouldn't do it either. Like, I I think that was when I realized, I was like, what all the stuff that you went through, how could you ever put, take a chance of that happening to your child if you could avoid that happening? And I remember I I got it for the first time. Yeah. And that's all like, that's the biggest thing that it always has been for me, which was the same thing with like COVID is I never want anyone else to ever have to feel any sort of sickness in this sort of way. Like that's, it's terrible. And like, there was never a time in my life where I like had a plan of how I would like kill myself, but there were definitely times when I would think like, Hmm, I'm not like, this is terrible. Like, I don't need this. And that's not something that I would ever like if if it's something is that bad that it's putting your thoughts there. That's not something that I would put on it. And I know that we we had known people who did have children with Lyme and they that were born with it and the not even just like the physical hardships, the emotional hardships, the financial hardships, which I had witnessed our family deal with and like. I know I am not the sole reason for it, but I am the major reason for it. And it's like, that's something that I will never be able to apologize to you guys for, or that once again, you'll say it's not my fault, but all of the the doctors and things, I would say that we have spent well over a hundred thousand dollars in the last decade, if not over $200,000 on my medical stuff. Yeah, that's probably not far off. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I, I can't well, even the one pick line alone was close. To that, yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure the one pick line, the second pick line was $58,000. I think something like that. Yeah. It was either it was 58 a- or 64. Those two numbers are sticking yeah. in my head. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine how, and then also with, for me, it was always with like anything in my life could trigger the Lyme to come back out because there's no such thing as a cure for Lyme disease. It's always going to be in my body. It's just sleeping right now. And which is why like I do, like I will have flare ups. So after my surgery, I had a mini flare and like, I am at the point now where I know my body so well that I know how to do all these things. And you're the only person I think that fully understands the way I live my life. And like that, I I don't do the antibiotics. And when I had to do like, and how much of a mental journey it is for me when I have to, like when after my hysterectomy, I had an allergic reaction and I had to be put on antibiotics and steroids and like the mental jump that that is for me, the fear, it's like a a real life fear of me being put on anything like that, knowing that it could trigger me to have a flare, which it did. And because it's always in the back of my head of it could get worse in the spiral. And you're always the person that stops the spiral from happening because it's just like, it, it's just going to get better. And like my food and you were always, when I went gluten-free 
And I said, you went multiple times, multiple times. I will give you credit. You have tried to go gluten-free with me. Gluten-free, dairy-free. You tried to go sugar-free. You tried the dairy-free. And you you would try recipes. You used to make me my, the gluten-free biscuit chicken tenders. You used to make those for me all the time. We don't need to talk about the horrific cornbread that you tried to make. (laughs) Um, And you would just like, you owe all of those things, the essential oils. so many gluten-free recipes. (laughs) Recipe books. The essential oils, you took me to a woman that did aromatherapy massages and you learned how to do them and you would come into my room every night and you would give me an aromatherapy massage because it would relieve my pain for 20 minutes and it was literally (laughs) like a 20 minute thing and but it worked for a little while and it worked and you would do it and you learned all of those things and the like now with my I don't use I use only natural cleaning supplies only natural like literally everything my toothbrush or my toothbrush my toothpaste my shampoo my body wash and when I told you I was buying these things you're just like okay like that's that's fine like you just know that those are the yeah I mean like anything that I can do to make me feel better and you're the only person that doesn't give me the (laughs) there's other people who don't either but yeah you don't question and I don't and I I mean and I you you know yourself you know your body you know I mean, you know, you did that crazy couple-week detox crazy oh, diet that you did yeah. that was eating trees and, <laughs> and I don't um, know what the, else. The tree she was referring to was a burdock root, and it was it delicious. like a tree. But, yeah, I did. <laughs> the, and, but, yeah, but it made me feel better. Yeah. And and having I, my freezer full of bone broth, making bone broth, making for, you would make me bone having broth. it cook for days in the crock pot, and filling the freezer up with cups of bone broth, yep. and the you know protein bars. You would make me homemade make homemade protein bars and banana muffins, but yeah, and all of those things to get me and yeah. But you know what? It was that was all I could do. I couldn't fix you, but I, if I could do anything to help at all or make you feel a little better anything I mean as a mom that's all I wanted to do so if any of those things helped you that was I would do it that's all I could do yep so and I why why like why did you never question me like you would question sometimes I think with like I said before like you would kind of bounce like push back at me sometimes with like you're going, you need to go to school today. And I did need to go to school and you knew like I needed it and I would get up and listen to you like, and, but you never once questioned like my symptoms and stuff or like I was paralyzed and you never didn't believe me or like that. I could not get myself out of bed. You never, I, I mean, first of all, I, I knew you and you're a great student and you, push yourself harder than anybody else would ever push you. And so I knew that there was, you weren't faking, you weren't a kid trying to stay home from school. Um, it, I, I mean, I just knew, I, I knew that you weren't lying to me. I mean, I, you were sick. I mean, I knew you were sick and it was never a question. And, you know, why would you fake that you couldn't move? I just, I mean, it was just, I just never doubted you. I mean, I, 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 I knew you weren't lying to me. I just, I, you know, and, and especially 
through going through years of doctors and, and tests and, and everything. I mean, I knew what you had was real, but I knew it was also controversial and I knew we were going to have a fight and I knew I needed to always be there and, and, you know, support you and stick up for you and fight whoever the heck I needed to fight to make sure you got whatever you needed to at least try to make you feel better. What do you think made you believe the Lyme disease? Because there are so many kids that I get in my support group. And I know I call you all the time and I'll tell you like, because it makes me upset because I see all these kids in my support group. But I'll be like, my parents don't, I saw one today. Like my brother doesn't believe me. My parents don't believe me. They're making me go up. They're making me go to school. I can't do these things. I'm failing all my classes and things. And I never, ever once had any sort of experience like that with you because you never, ever no, I, doubted I think it. truthfully, I think under our skin. I yeah. think because our journey started with watching that movie, that documentary, and seeing all the different ways Lyme affected people and 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 learning about the controversy right away um, and knowing that, that this was going to be a fight, I think, I, I really do think that movie was why. I really do, because I, I can just remember just there were so many people in it and so many different ways they were affected and um you know and they and they did talk about the the controversy and so we learned that early on that there was mm -hmm. a big thing with chronic Lyme and a big issue in the medical community so um I I think that was why I just do you remember a couple years after we had watched it the first time we watched it again with dad and a couple of other people and we both just like kept looking at each other as it was going on because we like now like saw some of those symptoms I hadn't had before. Right. And like, we understood those symptoms. And then like, at that point I was telling you, like I wasn't having the children and we would understand that part and the insurance stuff. And we knew the names, what's John, John Alcott. Oh yeah. Like, we knew yep. the names of the bad guys. Right. <laughs> and we, we knew the names of the bad guys and we were just like, yep. and I think, I think we both cried at that point watching that movie again with those people because, and they were all kind of like, whoa. And yeah. we both were like, we've been in this for two years. Like we've, right. we've been here like with this. And I think it was also like a crying for when we watched it the first time we were so naive. Right. And here we were two years later and still in it and not really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel still. Yeah. And I think that was the problem with that movie too. I mean, that's why there was the second one, which we never did watch, but um, there, none of those people were in a good place. <laughs> and that was very scary. I literally have no, I've had notes for like the last year and a half that I have questions <laughs> and things that I wanted to make sure that I brought up for you. And oh, one question back to like the beginning of when I was going through my misdiagnosis process, why did you never believe like, why did you keep trying different doctors? Um, because you were getting better. Like each, each time they gave us a diagnosis. I, I mean, I can remember that neurologist and you, she had you, you know, you said the three, three pills, three times a day and many other pills. And, and you never really fit into any of the, the diagnosis that they gave you like chronic tension headache. Okay. But why are her joints hurting or ankylosing spondylitis? But why? um is your are you having neurological issues like like yeah. each thing you'd never quite fit into any of the 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 descriptions and then the medicine that they would try never worked mm -hmm. and things kept getting worse not better 
And so I just, I don't know. I just didn't feel like we had found the right person yet because you weren't better. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was like, nope, this isn't working. Like need to, let's try the next one. Let's try that, you know, until, till and the Lyme thing. And I remember us talking to Brittany and, and sitting down with her at the music cafe. Yep, music cafe. And, and she was like, I think probably the first person that was a young person that had been going through Lyme and, you know, chronic Lyme. And, and when she described, I think some of what she was going through that, was more in line with how you were. Yep. Um, and and then having our our friend who was the doctor who here again is a Western medicine doctor, an ER doctor, saying, I think she has Lyme. And I'm like, okay, if she thinks you have Lyme, then and and then knowing her whole family has Lyme. And yeah. um, you know, it was just there was just I I just didn't feel like anybody I had figured it out. I, I just didn't feel like we were there yet until until we finally started dealing with the Lyme. What's it like for you or was like for you when like other people didn't understand like your friends and our family mm. and even yeah. like dad or I don't know about my siblings because they never really said anything to me about yeah. if they didn't believe me or not. But it, it, it was frustrating. It was um, but I kind of almost I think I just kind of just kept on doing our thing and just didn't worry about what anybody else thought or, or said or, um, you know, cause I knew nobody else understood. I, I mean, and again, I remember we've talked about this many times where you almost wish that you had a cast on or, uh, you know, had something cancer. that was, yeah, yeah. I would wish I had cancer. Badly. Yep. Yeah. Like something that, that people knew about and could see and believed. And it was, you know, I, and I think early on, we knew we were kind of in this fight alone. Um, so, um, and like there were some people, I feel like the people that supported us the most were the Lyme people. Oh yeah. And still like they understand. understand. Yeah. And like that, like when I found my Lyme friends, my Lyme girls, and that was like the best thing that could have ever happened to me and to you. Cause then you could also like, you talked with their moms a little and like, and your support group of other parents, because, no one it's an invisible chronic illness it's just like a double whammy right there you're not gonna get anything yeah yeah it was it was hard and it was I mean and people everybody knows somebody who has Lyme or has had Lyme but yeah like you said but no one's Lyme is the same right and and most of them were acute Lyme where they saw the bullseye and they got the antibiotics and they were fine so trying to and I did many times try to explain chronic Lyme to people. Um, but I didn't, I, I never really, other than doctors that I fought with, I never really let, nobody was, nobody, nobody, que- none of my friends or family, nobody questioned me. I mean, dad would do what I would do every once in a while. I'd be like, maybe it's something else, you know, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I never, I never felt like anybody was, you know, thought we were, and maybe they did just didn't let me know that thought we were crazy for doing what we were doing, but probably still do. Uh, <laughs> Who cares? I know we did the right thing and I will never regret the journey we took. I mean, uh, Same. And, and, and watching you seeing you where you are now. And, and I think you appreciate your life so much more 
than most 25 year olds do at their this point in their life because yes. you struggled so much harder than almost anybody in the world to having to you know and, and anybody that you know to get to this place so I think that will live on your own and have a job and and be healthy and uh, I mean I I never, you know, you know, I always say, I don't want you to leave me. I don't want you to go away. But every time you mention going to another country, like I get, I get a little sad, but I also get super excited because I want you to do whatever you want to do and, you know, choose to do and go wherever you want to go because you miss so much that I just want you to enjoy your life. Yeah. And I think that's something that was like, a curse, but a blessing also is that I was forced to grow up at 14 and like forced to understand these real world issues of insurance companies, not helping people and like different doctors and watching people literally be put on life support from an illness that I have. And all these like her- watching people have seizures and all of these horrendous things. And to the point now where it's like literally like the only goal I have in my life is to just like live my life because there was many times in my life where I literally thought I was going to die. And like, it sounds dramatic, but it's like I was paralyzed oh. in the bathtub. Like right. I could have drowned right. in the bathtub. I got paralyzed right. in the pool. Exactly. I got right. paralyzed while driving. Like right. I couldn't eat anymore. Remember I thought I really thought that I was going to have to go on a feeding tube at one point. Right. But I dropped right. down so much in weight because I w- right. couldn't eat at all. Yeah. And like all and like the pain and just wanting the pain to end. And now it's like I talked about this with my therapist today. I was like, I don't have career goals in my life. I told you, like, I don't have dreams of like owning the house and the white picket fence. Be like, I literally just want to do things that make me happy. <laughs> like I don't like I just want to have money to be able to do the things that make me happy. But then there's also like always the little thing that I always have with the fear of it coming back and things. And I think you have equipped me so much and all the things that we have done that like I am fully prepared for if at some point in my life that does happen, like that I know how to handle things. Like when I had a flare a few weeks ago and I know like, okay, I need to pull back on eating sugar. I need to do this. I need to do more of these. I need to make some more juices. I need to take some Epsom salt baths. I need to sauna. And like well, even, knowing, even with your surgery, you, yeah. you, you know, like you told me the other day, you didn't feel good. And you were, you, oh, I want to go for a walk, but I, my body, I, I shouldn't go for a walk. And you know that like you, yeah. I don't think there's anybody I know that's in tune with their body better than you. Like you yeah. know how to read your body so well. And I think that's why on anything that you won't ever ever, ever be where you were before, because you'll, you'll know when signs start happening, you'll know, okay, I need to do this, or I need to do a detox, or I need to do, you know, I need to rest, I need to whatever. And you're, you're, you know, okay, I'm not going to make plans this weekend. I'm not, you know, you, you know what to do. Yep. You have the tools to do it now. Yeah. And I think that also with like me, which is so funny, like when I graduated college last year and or two years ago now, I guess, technically, (laughs) um, and my, it got canceled because of COVID and how you guys were so upset. And I, and I didn't care at all because I was just like, I'm done. (laughs) This is the one thing I had to, cause I didn't want to finish school. I don't know if you remember that. Like there were multiple times when I told you, I was just like, I don't want to do it. It's pointless. Like I, 
don't need to do it. I'm doing communications. To be honest, you don't need a degree for communications in this day and age. You do for most jobs. <laughs> well, that's the one issue why it was a problem because right. you, I, there's not a single thing that I learned in college that I'm using for my job. Of course not, but you not have a single to have thing. It. But you right. have to have a but degree. You have to have it, right? Um, and like there are multiple times when I wanted to not do it, and you made me do it, and I'm glad you made me do it because I met some awesome people there, and I did get my big girl job, and when I was like moving out the thought of living alone is something that I never thought I would be able to do because I always have the fear of like, if I get paralyzed, which I get paralyzed probably once every like, I don't even know, like four months, if that, or something like that. And I'll be like randomly at nighttime, normally when I'm like trying to fall asleep and I'll just like feel it. And then I fall asleep and then I wake up and I'm fine. And I don't live alone. I have a roommate who I love, but my roommate is gone a lot and I'm, I'm alone during that time period. And like, I'm fine. And I love it. You told me the other day, you asked me, you're like, are you okay alone? And I'm like, I love it. Like, I'm right. fine. Like it, cause then also like, I'll get into moods sometimes, which, which is the other thing that I've been going through this past year that I've been talking to you about, which is my hormone issues. And like, which is another thing, like I've being in tune with my body, like you're talking about, like I was able to figure that out and like started treating myself for that. Like what got, I have my own doctor that I found. And then you were like, what are you talking about? Because I've now like an adult. I started this as a child when like literally you had to do everything for me. You had to make me my own pill charts and like, color, <laughs> color coded, color coded pill charts oh that I had God. to mark off and like that you would call me and make sure that I took my medicines. And now I'm the one that like tells you that I'm like, okay, here I have to go fill in, do my weekly fill in of my medicines and stuff. And I keep track of all the things and you've prepared me so well for these things. But like, I, We'll get into these moods sometimes where I'm like, I don't feel well, especially pre-surgery. Before my surgery, things were very bad and dark. And because it got to the point where I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do anymore. And like, I was not, I was being controlled by my endometriosis, which is like how my life was controlled by my Lyme. Right. And now, like the other day, I didn't feel so good. And I was walking around um, on my hot girl walk, getting my Starbucks. And I put on my main character energy playlist and I'm listening to my Astro from the holiday, which is the theme song from the holiday. And every time I just like walk and I look around me at my neighborhood and I like just get a huge smile on my face. Cause then I'll just like sit there to myself, which is also what I do when I'm working out. If I'm like running or something and I'm struggling, I'm just like, you were fucking paralyzed. Right. You, you couldn't hold your phone. You could not <laughs> bathe yourself. You could not do any, like I couldn't brush my hair, simple things. And then yeah. here I am. And I'm like, I'm do living anything. my life. Yeah. I can do anything. That. And it's 95% because of you. Oh, that is not true. You had to have the drive and the survival instinct and the, the strength to do it. You, you know, I pushed, but you had to also. Yeah. You, but you it. are the one that pushed for. I would say I, I'm coming up on 11 years since I started having Lyme. And I would say for the first at least six or seven years, you were the driving force because I was so sick that I literally, like, you were my voice. You were the one that was telling doctors things. And you were the one that, like, you would have to remember things because I couldn't remember what, like, to tell the doctor about symptoms that I had because not remembering was a symptom that I had. Right, right. And, <laughs> 
you would do all of these things, like I said, with the getting my medicines and you were the one that would research new doctors to find me a new doctor to go to when things were getting rough or any of the things that would help me with my pain management, like the massage. I used to do the massages every week. You and dad would take me to get massages every week. Yep. And the sauna, you had got you were the one that got me into the sauna, like all of these things that are my ways of helping myself. And you're the one that got me into all of them. So really, this whole podcast is just to say thanks. Oh, well, I wouldn't have it any other way. You're my baby. And you're just my favorite human in the whole entire planet. Um, you're, you're, you're one of my. Uh-huh. Sure, five. sure. You can pretend it's OK. It's OK. We all know the truth. My one my last question to you before we'll end is what do you have to say to the other parents that have kids with Lyme that struggle with believing that their kids have Lyme or don't know where to go next with doctors and things like that? Like, how do you, how did you keep moving forward? Like, what would you say to them if they're just starting in their journey? Oh, that's hard. Um, I mean, first of all, and it's, you know, and everybody's different, so I don't know, but I knew with you that, like I said, from the beginning, you know, I always knew that you weren't faking something was wrong um you know it it was never ending for 10 years I mean you don't fake something for that you know that long and you were a you were a 14 year old kid you weren't able to do the things that teenagers do and you know so I knew that something was wrong and um you know I I used to think doctors knew everything and I quickly, quickly learned that that was not the case. And so trust your gut and, and, and ask lots of questions and, you know, do your own research and, you know, go find, find help support groups and, um, you know, places where you can ask questions. I, I mean, that was getting into the Lyme community. I think I said this, so the Lyme community was, a vital part of us learning a lot, getting referrals, um, which is why I'm always so help, you know, willing to to help people and give referrals. I, I have, especially now with Dr. Sayadon, I, I have recommended her so many times um, to people, and and it, you know the other ones too. I mean, I mm-hmm. I gave you know people who who don't have insurance uh, you know i would always tell them about the the doctor that we went to that took the insurance at least to get them started and we've had numerous people we know that go to him still um but just you know be you have to be your child's advocate you have to you have to trust your gut and know that you know what's best for your kid and you do you know you need to find the help them find the answer. I, I, I just, I mean, if we had believed the very first doctor, you would have been on antidepressants and (laughs) who knows what would have happened, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy to think. And I just knew that was not, and I don't know why I knew, but I just knew that wasn't the answer. And I think, and it was funny because there, I had no reason to, I think because I think because he said we treat the symptoms, we we don't need to worry about the diagnosis, but we need to treat the symptoms or something in that respect. Yeah. And I was like, that was the first time I was like, that makes absolutely no sense. 
Like what we need to know what's causing the symptoms. And when he said that, I think that started me. So thank, thank that doctor for saying that yeah. to me, because that's when I knew, no, I need to know what the diagnosis is. What is wrong with my child? Yep. And that was the journey <laughs> to figure that out. And it took us a long time, it's but, um, but it look where you are now. So obviously we did something right. Yes, you did. And my, I lied to you and I have a follow-up question is what would you say to the kids whose parents don't believe them? (sighs) Call me. I'll be there for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I knew you were going to (laughs) say. I would like to be. Um, Yeah, that's, that's heartbreaking. I I just. You're the limey mom. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I mean, if they're old enough to, to do it themselves, they just need to, to just trust themselves and their instincts and just work on it show them under our skin I mean that that was an eye-opener I don't know how you could ever watch that movie and and not uh I don't say understand because it's so hard to understand but um but at least see what what your child is going through I, I mean it's it's heartbreaking. It's it's just such a horrible, 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 horrible disease. And um, yeah, I I just don't give up. I mean, you, there's find support groups, find people your age that you can at least talk to and and try to do what you can on your own. I guess if your parents aren't willing to, but don't give up. Never, never give up. Love it. Love it. You're the best Love ever. You. Love you. you. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome. Aren't you glad that you actually did this? See? Yeah, I can't believe we talked for two hours about this. That's okay. But we and have I'm to sure sign off now. More. There is plenty more, so you'll be back. Um, but as I sign off on every single podcast episode, I give a song recommendation. But so we briefly touched on this. But so when we started our journeys to Virginia for a Lyme doctor, <laughs> we had a core group of songs that were our songs. And to this day, they are still our songs. And we listen to them every time I am with you. And I have a literal playlist of them for us. But <laughs> we have our sad song, which is Her Diamonds by Rob Thomas. Oh. And that, that is the one that we used to sit and cry to. Oh yes. And then it was worse when we when when years after it we found out that his wife actually had Lyme disease. Yep. Because they used to always say she had an autoimmune disease. And not that many years ago they came out and said she had Lyme. And then we realized that her diamonds was literally about Lyme disease. Yep. And so that is our sad song recommendation. But then our ultimate number one song, which you will catch us singing a duet of at some point in your (laughs) lives, is well, it's happy days are here again and get happy. get happy. Barbara Streisand and Judy Garland. Best song ever. I am Judy. Lisa is Barbara. If you would like to hear a snippet of us perform, let us no, know. <laughs> but that is the song to sing and belt it out and feel it in your soul because happy days are here again. Yes. And it's all because of you, Lisa. You brought me into this world. You kept me into this world. <laughs> and Thanks. I can take you out. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for just being you. People give their mom the world's best mom mugs, but I'm the only one who literally gets to have the world's best mom. I love you. All right. I love you. Thanks for joining. <laughs>